Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Looks like we're officially live, um, so we want to get started as close to on time as we can. I want to welcome uh, Jim Cook onto the training session. Uh, Jim, why don't you tell them a little bit about your role for the people who don't know you? So, Jim Cook, my basic role is um, managing a lot of the construction day-to-day on the OCD side of the business and running... Um, from some of the small fix and flips to the larger projects, condo conversions, apartment buildings, things like that. So that's um, pretty much my day-to-day. Right, so kind of taking, I mean, how many, I feel like half of your job is going out on on scopes and creating <laughs> budgets, right? It, um, I'd say I, on average, do probably four a week, I'd say, maybe, give or take. So it is definitely a um, chunk of my job and the process of that, but ranges from going out to, you know, to the pro- property or project all the way to doing the scope, doing the budget and this follow up around. So there's a few hours around the, the appointment as well. Cool. So why don't we start off high level with just, you know, and we're talking residential real estate. We're talking, you know, single families, condos, um, anything really. I mean, we do projects that are bigger than and for Unix, but let's stick to kind of residential right now and focus a little bit on, okay. on single family. So okay. just high level, like, can you talk about the different types of renovations that we're doing in general? Sure. We do primarily, again, on the residential side from the, um, the fix and flips, we do everything from a townhouse style renovation that's primarily interior work and cosmetic all the way up to a full gut rehab of a, you know, say a 4,000 square foot colonial um, that might include, you know, significant site work and everything else. So we definitely have the gamut, but the average I'd say is, you know, and Tom knows better than me on the average square footage that we do, but I'd say 14, 1500 square feet mm-hmm. average house, you know, three bedrooms, one and a half baths and needs all cosmetic work, and then some of the utilities upgraded. I'd say that's our average project. So when you're talking about creating a renovation budget, what are you doing before you go out there, if anything at all? Yeah, so, well, it's it's a bit twofold with what we do, but before I go out there, I'm viewing the comp online uh, to know what my end um, my end product should look like. And that allows me to have a mindset when I go into the house of, to our subject house of um, really what we want for our end, our end product to be. And that helps me put a mindset of it's an A, B, C level renovation so I can start working that budget as I go through. Right. And that was kind of what I was alluding to in the beginning with like just knowing or thinking through the level of renovation that you go into before you go into a property, because at least from my perspective as kind of like a keyboard warrior who's not in these houses, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, what level of renovation do you need to get it to? Because I know from your perspective, if you're just going in there saying like, how do I make this house perfect? That would 
make every house in the greater Boston area, like a hundred thousand dollar plus renovation on average, right? Because yep. you can, because you can do so many things to every property. And at least in this part of the country, most of the houses were built a hundred years ago or 150 years ago or 80 years ago or, or pretty old. So when you're looking at the comps, yep. um, what are the different types of things that you're looking at in the comps to even like get your mindset prepared to even create that budget? So I look and see if the entire property, meaning inside, outside, landscape, everything was completely renovated. And usually you can tell that by, is there paneling on the walls? Um, are all the, is all the flooring new or refinished? The kitchen, the bathrooms, the roof, the siding, have all these things been, been replaced? And if that's the case, then I know I have to do a full renovation to mirror my comp. And whether you're an agent out there that's looking to help your seller, or you're someone in the investment side, I believe that's a key step, no matter which, which side of the business you're looking at, that's a key step to identify what really the scope of work is going to be. Yep. So what are the key things, like if you're just looking, you know, at pictures, what are the things that you're mm -hmm. specifically looking for? I know you said landscaping, but like, if you're just looking at pictures, what are the other types of things that you're going to be looking at? So I'm going to look at on the pictures, I'm going to look at the roof and the photos. I'm I'm going to look at the siding and the windows, and then I'm going to look at um, sometimes the, in the pictures, there'll be a heating system. They only take a picture of the heating system if it's new. And then really from there, it's paint, flooring, and kitchens and baths. So I'm looking to see if the floors are shiny or new, or if they're carpet or laminate and they're new. I'm looking to see if all the walls and ceilings and trim have been painted or appear to be in the pictures. The cabinets, is there granite? new appliances, um, bathrooms, have they been at least painted and retiled, if, if not completely redone? Those are the key items because to a buyer that those are the, those are things they see. Mm -hmm. So are you doing anything else besides doing that before you're going into the property to get prepared to create your budget? Or is that pretty much like, you know, before, the before I go to the property, that's what I'm doing. And then yeah. I get, I get to the property and as I'm driving down the street, I'm just being, as I enter the neighborhood, I'm really swivel seeing the types of houses that are around it that really support it. And you get a feel for the type of neighborhood you're in and, um, and what's, what's an acceptable renovation in that kind of a neighborhood. So, and then once you, I get to that, can you define what you mean by that an acceptable level of renovation? Yeah. So if they look like rented multifamilies, primarily, um, you know, exteriors of the houses aren't, well kept, there's high grass, overgrown bushes, that type of a neighborhood, then I know I need to make sure that everything's clean and functioning and all utilities are working properly. That, that would be a maybe a C-level renovation in my opinion. And to make sure everything's clean and functioning, but I don't have to have crown molding in every room and you know, extravagant windows and doors and high-end product. I don't need to do that. And then what about the, the converse? You're driving through the area. What makes you kind of see like, oh man, my 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 budget's going to be way higher. I've got to do a different level of renovation. Yeah. So if I go into, you know, it's what's the buyer expect, right? So if you're an agent, what's your buyer expect? So you go into a neighborhood and you drive down the street and it's all three to thousand square foot homes. You see professional landscapers at every other house while you're driving down the street and everyone's house is perfect. So the expectation of the buyer going there 
maybe isn't that that house is perfect, but it has to be clean and everything has to be functioning to a higher degree. So, um, or if I'm in Charlestown and we're going to do a condo conversion, I know just by driving down, I see work on that street. There's four other condo conversions happening on that street. And when I looked at the comp, it was, you know, a high level sale price and the comp had Viking appliances. I know the expectation is perfection of that buyer. So we need to make sure that we're doing anything possible to make that house as current or that unit as current as possible with high-end products. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, all that stuff, this is like the underrated part about, in my opinion, about creating a budget to start just because, and especially even just as an agent, when you go out to meet with a seller and they say, Hey, you know, what should I do to my house? And you've got to know what your competition is and what the buyer expects in that area. Um, I, in my opinion, there's a wide, wide variety where we're locating in terms of what the expectation is all the way from, you know, doing granite countertops is like almost like over the top to you've got to go three levels higher than that and make everything perfect. So I think there's just such a big spread. And I don't think that's just Boston. I mean, that's, that's probably all over the country as well. But, you know, as an agent or as somebody who's doing the investing, I think it starts with knowing what you want your end product to be and what you're okay fixing and what you need to fix and you know, all that stuff, because you can under it, under, under renovate a house and you don't win there and you can over renovate a house and you don't win there. You've got to renovate it to the right level. All right. So you've, you've looked at your comps, then you've driven your comps and right. now you're going through the property and tell us about like what that process looks like for you. Yeah. Cause my goal is every time again, to look at that comp before I even leave the office of my previous appointment and then to drive that comp, if at all possible, I try to drive it before I go to do the scope. And then the process from when I pull up to the property is I usually uh, will take a photo from each corner of the house and then the rear, if possible, so I can, I can start to evaluate what it is. So I look at the roof, if the roof's, you know, 15 years old or newer, just by a best, best guess, then you know we, we try to see if there's any uh, shingles that are failing. If if it's starting to fail, um, then really what I do is I, I include a roof because a roof is a, is a major product or major repair for a new buyer. So I look at okay the roof, then the siding and the exterior. Can we patch it? Can we paint it? Should we replace it? Again, depends on if it's an A, B, or C level renovation. So that's really my start when I pull up to the prop to the property. And then as I'm going in, I'm thinking about windows and doors. And then I start going room by room. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. So roof, and you're saying, now, when you're going through, are you using software? Are you jotting down on like a piece of paper? Like how, how, do you, how are you actually doing that? So I was using a, um, not a software, but I was using a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet that I created. And I, I stopped using it, to be honest, because a lot of the environments I'm in, I, um, I really couldn't, um, I couldn't bring a tablet in. It wasn't, it was, there, you know, they're sometimes challenging environments when I'm going in. So now what I do, and I've done so many of these over the years, is that I take photos that are important to me. And then I review those photos after I leave as I'm doing my budget. 
So as I'm going through the house, I'm taking photos of everything that's important to me. And then, and I'm kind of getting a mindset. And then as I leave there, I will go through those photos. Once I'm at a different location, I'll go through those photos and really spend probably an hour, give or take doing the actual budget hour and a half, maybe depends on the property. So how long are you in the property for? It ranges. If it's a standard, you know, three bedroom Cape, then I'm probably in there for 25 minutes, give or take. If I've been some of these larger properties, it takes me an hour, but it's, it's never more than an hour. And how do you feel like the key? Go ahead. I was going to say the key thing that I missed, uh, I think it's really important for everyone on the call, is that when you're doing the evaluation of the outside, I always look at chimneys, foundations, look for any cracks, any patching. Um, if someone stuck out the foundation, you want to look on the inside of the foundation to make sure there wasn't any shifting. Cracks are one thing, but shifting is another. So those are really important to look for. And that's one of the key items because that will make or break a deal. You feel confident that walking through the property, spending 30 minutes, how many, how many photos are you taking? I usually take 40 to 50. Okay. So with those 40 to 50 photos, you kind of feel like that's almost your, your documentation where you can kind of go back and feel, you know, confident that you didn't miss anything. Absolutely. All right. So um, 40 to 50 photos is a lot for a house. So I feel like you know, you're almost, you can't miss much there. But if you were going to say like, where are you looking to take those photos? Like how many exterior and what does the interior look like? And what are you, what are you looking for overall? So again, on the exterior, really, if you don't find any structural, visible structural issues, five pictures of the exterior, four pictures of the exterior, usually enough if you get the angle, because you want the electric um, service in there in, in a photo of a corner. It will have your windows, your siding, maybe a chimney, a roof, and your electric meter, and maybe a gas meter if there is one, or propane. I try to get all those in one photo, and any landscape driveways, things like that, that might be a cost. Other than that, it's a standard, you know, landscape cleanup for the sale of a house. We don't usually put tremendous amounts of money unless it's, you know, it is an issue. Uh, on the inside, the photos that I'm looking to do are kitchen, bathroom. Uh, flooring. So I'll try to take one flooring lights and walls. So if there's no overhead lights, I'll know that when I take a picture of the room, because in that room, I have the trim, the walls, the floor, the ceiling. So in that ceiling, and I'll have a window. So I can identify that entire room, hopefully with one photo, unless it's full of clutter. Mm-hmm. But even so, if I have the clutter in there, that's a clean out number. And I remember in this house that it was absolutely full or there were just a couple of rooms. And that helps me with my clean out budget because that number can be significant. Yep. So you're going through, I mean, even just to take 40 or 50 photos, that's probably getting you up to like 20 minutes at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm walking the whole time. Like I'm just walking through the house. And usually if I were by myself and the house was empty, I'd probably be out of there in 15 minutes, maybe 20. But usually the person's talking to you about life or something and you're trying to move it on to the next room. And that's, uh, that's usually takes some more time. You're a good person to ask about life. <laughs> yeah. You got the answer. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so it's important though, to make sure you take a photo. Like the basement probably takes me half the time I'm in the house. I'm in the basement, maybe more than half the time. 
because the basement is where I really start digging around in the other rooms. I mean, there's only so much money to be spent on painting a room, refinishing the floors, maybe fixing a door or two or replacing it's in the basement in, in the attic is where you can kind of get in trouble on a budget. So I'd start with the attic and the attic, you want to make sure if there's access to the attic, that it's safe and appropriate. You get into the attic, you're looking for what appeared to anything that appears to be mold or toxic, um, you know, and, and decide if you want to have that tested. Uh, if it looks, you know, suspect, you want to look at the insulation, things like that are important because those will stop as everyone knows on this call, those will stop the sale of a house. So that's something to, um, you know, to consider. And then when you go into the basement, in the basement, I always check the entire rim of the house, looking for termite damage, looking for rot, looking for settling. Look at the posts. So the posts, the steel posts that are filled with concrete, those are called lally columns. Most older homes don't have them. They'll have jacks that are like, kind of look like a steel post, but they'll have these pins going through them. But those aren't considered uh, structural anymore. So those have to be replaced or they'll have old cedar trees, like in, you know, in hundred year old homes, they'll have cedar trees. You need to decide if those need to be replaced. Do they look like they're failing and looking for large cracks in the foundation. Mm -hmm. Those are like the main items in a basement and you're looking for knob and tube wiring and plumbing issues. Mm -hmm. So plumbing issues, you know, I'm not a plumber, but you can't mix cast iron to PVC to cast iron again. You can have cast iron coming into the house, but once you switch to PVC, the entire rest of the house needs to be PVC. So oftentimes you'll have someone just cut a section in, a homeowner did it on a Saturday, well now you have to replace all the rough plumbing. So those are big items, that's a big dollar. You know, that's, that's 10 plus thousand dollars. So you're talking about a lot of different things here. And obviously, yeah. while people are on the call, they're not going to become an expert in all these things no. out, out of the gate. For somebody that's kind of, you know, newer to the business, yeah. all of these little individual specific things, what would you, how would you recommend they do this? Should they be going through with a contractor, like what, what would be best practice for somebody who's flipping their first home and is trying to create a budget in terms of just, you know, getting some of the stuff done? Yeah, I would, first thing I would do before you go there is again, look at your comp. Now what's important to you? You look at that comp and you say, all right, I obviously need paint. I need to make sure the paint roof, take every item off of that comp property that you look at and put it on a spreadsheet, put it on a list and then go through that property and use it as a checklist. Now you, you might find the entire property has already been painted and it looks great and it's all cleaned out. And you know, it's not often, but if that's the case, great. That's a huge savings. You might find that they just did the roof and windows. So you don't have to allocate a number to that, but at least that way you don't miss anything. If you create a checklist before you go in, that's part of what I did before and just kind of away from it for a few reasons. But I've just done so many, I don't need it as much. Um, but I would definitely create a checklist. And maybe if this is your first one or a second one, I would bring a contractor with you. Usually when you bring a contractor, your budget will increase because they're obviously looking for work at the same time. But it worst case, you get another opinion that's valuable. Yeah, I'm just thinking through some of the stuff that you're talking about in the attic, in the basement and things that can be major almost 
deal killers. And, you know, we even had one in uh, Acton that you went out to deal look yeah. good from my perspective, yeah. from the acquisitions perspective. And then what was the actual evening issue there? I can't even remember. I just know it was like an extra $40,000. Like it was basically yeah. enough that it would have killed the deal. Yeah, there was settling. Um, some settling on an addition that was done yep. and that needed to be addressed. I mean, it's, it was, and that caused, you know, kind of a, um, a snowball effect on the, on the property that it went from that concrete issue to the siding issue, to the roof issue, to the framing issue. So a lot needs to be touched because of that and you, it needs to be done right. So that was a different, um, that was a number in the budget. And I found that when I walked around the house before I went inside. So now I found what appeared to be settling. And then when I went inside the house, I was really looking for it because I saw it outside. Now I want to see if the house is shifting at all. And the major issue is just outside. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. The question just came in, is it is it a must to convert copper pipes to PVC? Absolutely not. Okay, no, why? I would say if the copper is not leaking, if the, um, they're both acceptable methods to install. If you did new construction, they're both acceptable to install in new construction. Um, copper is significantly more expensive. That's why you don't see it as much in new renovations and new construction. And... The only time there's, I mean, there's code issues there, but for the most part, you don't need copper except on like the last certain amount of inches or feet um, to finish uh, finish like plumbing. You have to have copper in certain areas, but overall, absolutely no, I wouldn't replace it. Uh, most, if cost wasn't an issue, I, if cost and work ethic were not an issue, I think everyone would still use copper but PVC is significantly faster and easier for the plumbers. It's actually not PVC, it's PEX. It's a, yeah, it's not PVC. Okay, so we've talked about what you do before you go out there. We talked about your drive-through. We talked about the fact that you're taking 40, 50 pictures. You're there for 20, 25 minutes. You're going in the attic, making sure you're looking for mold and big ticket items there. Basement, same thing, big ticket items. Now you're getting up to, you know, the regular part of the house, you know, first floor, if it's maybe a ranch, one level or two levels or three levels, what are the things that you're looking for as you're kind of walking through there? So, you know, we've gone again past the, the big ticket items for the most part, but now you're into as a whole, usually a property, a house. Well, if, you know, the floors, the floors will either all be terrible <laughs> or they'll all be acceptable and maybe need to be refinished. So you look at the floors, you look at the paint, overall carpentry. So I look at other broken doors, missing trim um, or poorly installed trim still needs to be replaced. Uh, are there water damage in the ceilings? Um, there's, are there center lights in the bedrooms? That's something that we look at a lot. So I like to put switched overhead lights. It's just, it's an upgrade, but it's almost something today that's expected in, in most single families. So if at all possible in the budget, I will add an upgrade center lights in every room, sometimes recess lights in the living room or kitchen. 
Then you want to look at the bathrooms. Do you need to completely demo the whole bathroom and replace everything? Or do you just need to tile, paint, and replace a vanity? That's a big dollar difference. So you need to decide that. And the same with the kitchen. Kitchen cabinets, um, for a long time, I would replace every single kitchen, no matter what. If it was 10 years old, I'd still replace it. But the market changed, um, products changed, and we're getting feedback now that a lot of people would rather have the good quality cabinets that were in there with new backsplash, new countertop, new hardware, and we'll either clean them or paint them professionally. We'll put an enamel paint on them so they're really well done. And we're getting great feedback on that. So that's something to consider that you don't always need to replace the cabinets if they're in really good shape and they're functioning. Mm-hmm. Anything else that you're looking for as you're kind of walking through? I know you can talk kitchens, baths, floors. Um, I mean, you're painting yeah, you pretty much every time, heat. right? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's ever been a time we didn't paint. So, yeah. yeah. And when I, when I paint, I look at it again you know, you have to look at each room when, and I try to allocate a number to each room to paint because there's such a wide variety of the prep to the paint because if the walls have holes in them, if it was a kid's room and they had tacks, 2000 tacks in the walls, like that takes time. Or if there's water damage, they need to plaster first. So you need to allocate um, all that kind of time. And then product, you know, we're using, we use a good quality paint, so it's a little more expensive but it finishes a lot nicer. So we factor that in to our budgets. And the installer, the painter, prefers the, that product because it finishes nicer. So that you have to think about that. And you know, it depends on the size of the room, but that comes a little bit with experience. And if I had to say, pick a number, I would pick an average of $1,000 a room. It's what it's gonna cost you to buy the material, prep it and paint it. And that's probably a little high overall, but some rooms are going to have to be replastered. Some are not. So if you average that out, I think you'll be safe. Cool. Question just came in. How do you evaluate renovations for a fire damage property different than a standard renovation? It's a loaded question right there. So, yeah, it is. But I, I've done a fair amount of fire damage properties and different codes come into play with the state. So you have to be careful with that. I would definitely bring a licensed contractor with you. Make sure they're licensed. A licensed contractor with you and the char is really what's burnt. That's the burning, it's the char. So the percentage of char is important. So they will scrape all of the char, if they do it properly, all of the char will be scraped off of the framing. Everything needs to be gutted, all new plumbing, all new electrical in the house. That's a must, no matter what. Even if it was like two rooms, you're supposed to gut the entire plumbing and electrical and insulation because it probably got wet from the um, wet or hot. And, um, you know, without getting into a whole piece of that, I would definitely bring a contractor with you. The char needs to be removed, potentially reframed, and then all sealed before you move forward. So that char is important that you get all of the loose material off. It's scraped down to the wood. You reframe where needed. And then you seal it with, it's a special product that seals it. So on a 90 degree day, two years later, it's 90 degrees out. The house is beautiful and it smells like a fire because they didn't seal it. It has to be sealed. And that's actually a code. And I would, um, I'd urge you to get the right contractor if you have a fire damaged house. 
Yeah, I think the thing for me, you know, when we look at those just from a, not a renovation perspective, but for me, from like a sales perspective is I look at those in some ways, like they're easier to guess a renovation budget because you're doing everything and it's hard mm-hmm. to not do everything. And I think that like one, some, one of the things that can happen is sometimes the fire isn't that bad, right? You might walk in and it doesn't look that bad, but you're probably doing everything anyways. So, yep. you know, we talked about like the different levels of renovation and, and we talked a lot about like, Hey, like, how do you, how can you do a house and just paint it and do some basic stuff and maybe in a particular area of the market is okay with that. But I think the exception to that is like when you've got some big ticket damage items like fires or like really bad mold or like these big, big things, foundational issues that you just have to fix. And I think for the audience that's on, um, those are the type of houses that I wouldn't do if you're newer, in my opinion. Those are the ones that I would probably try to stay away from if you're trying to do your first few deals. Um, I think those can be really good deals for the investors that have the construction capability because they're almost like easier to get deals on because not as many people want to do them. Um, But if you don't have the construction expertise, that certainly wouldn't be the first deal I would ever do. Um, If I was doing it myself and I didn't have a good construction team, I probably would never touch those deals. I would probably go after the ones that are just, hey, it's like your grandma's house and neat as a pin, but you just have to kind of clean it up and make it shine a little bit. And that's what I would focus on. But so what I put on the screen um, is a tool that we created. And it's something that I used to use. And it's something that agents have access to really it's open to anybody who's on here right now, which is www.oceancitybudget.com. And what it does is, and, and Jim, I know you don't use this, but I did ask you to kind of update these numbers. Yep. And what I did here yep. was I broke houses up into small, medium, and large. And I, I wish I actually defined large better, like maybe like 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. But for us in the greater Boston market, these are the typical kind of houses that we do. Either we're doing like a ranch, we're doing like a cape or small colonial, or we're doing, you know, one small step up from that, which is like 2,000 to 2,500 square feet. Uh, For the most part, and this is just Ocean City development specific and not, you know, to do with anything that you guys are, should be concerned about, but we typically aren't doing single families that are much bigger than that. I think Jim, you mentioned, we're typically doing like 14, 1500 square foot houses, right? I think so. Yeah. I, I didn't pull that data, but I would say probably. Yeah. And I think there's, there's reasons for that. Um, I feel like that's more the entry level property. That's the property that we've always done well on. It's more our niche. Um, and I'm not telling anybody that you should do what we do, but that's kind of how we break things up. And then we just went through all of the major big ticket items. And these are things that I would assume are in Jim's pictures. These are part of the 30, 40, 50 pictures. He's definitely looking at the plumbing, the exterior paint, the floors, the windows, the landscaping. He mentioned that in the beginning, interior paint, appliances, the roof, 
the bathrooms, kitchens, electrical service. And you can kind of just go through this list. And if I am getting pictures on an acquisition property and I'm unclear about what the budget should be, I will go through this and click the 10 buttons or 15 buttons here that kind of make sense that I think might be needed. And that's how I get an idea of what we should be offering on a property. So yeah. I don't know if you have any input on this and how useful it might be to some people and what the pros and what the, what the negatives of, of some of this are. I wouldn't use this as your budget to purchase the house, but I would use it as a tool. Um, like say the windows, right? You know, the small, medium and large on the windows there. Now that's a low number, right? If you try to, if you call, I don't know, like one of these window companies that advertise all the time, your number will be 10 times that. But these are the window numbers. If I were to go out and buy windows and have uh, one of our installers install them, that's the price. So that's kind of a lower number, but we might not even be replacing all of the windows. We might have three quarters of them are great. We have to replace five, you know, and maybe repair all the screens or, or something. So keep that in mind, use this as a tool. Um, for the most part though, if you go through here, you'll come up with a dollar amount that works for you. And if you're going to say, say it's a low to a mid-level, low to like an average renovation and nothing major is going on with the house. So there's no major stress cracks in the foundation. The roof isn't sagging. There's no serious water coming through, you know, and the ceilings haven't collapsed onto the floor. Like we don't have problems like that. I would, if you want to take just a, a nugget away that makes it a little bit easier to check your math. I would use about $40 a square foot as a, I just want to make sure that I'm close on a light renovation. So that's a renovation. That's grandma's house that needs, you know, a once over, but was maintained, but is definitely dated. It looks like it's 1960 in there, but everything works. I would put, so you're just doing a very cosmetic renovation I would use $40 a square foot. And then I would go through if I were you and do a budget, maybe use this tool as well for the first couple, check it three times, use this tool, use $40 a square foot or $42 a square foot, and then do your own budget. What you think it'll cost, those three numbers should be within striking distance. <clears throat> They're not gonna be exact, but they should be close. So you know that, you know, you picked a whatever, $55,000 budget, but yeah, when you did it on the pencil, when you penciled it out, it was 200,000. Well, you probably made a mistake, right? You have to make sure that you're within striking distance. So I would keep that in mind. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's interesting because we're having this conversation and you've kind of identified a few other ones. And um, when, when I look at deal killers, I actually really don't look at these, at least for myself, as like, we won't buy the house. I look at these like, if there is a very, if something on this is uh, checked, yes, then my number that I'm standardly going to offer is probably wrong. Meaning like if the property has a bad layout and some houses do, some houses have like super low ceilings or layouts you can't fix. Um, from my perspective, you know, I might make an offer not knowing that. And then you go into it and that could kill the deal because, the house, the ARV ends up being less. So for all of these things, like we've done plenty of houses with no parking. We've done plenty of houses that are in flood zones. We do 
plenty that are on main streets where septic has failed, where there are foundation issues or low ceilings, or the last one is the toughest one actually. Um, that's hard to kind of put a number on because you don't know if you've got, if you've got a building that is fully occupied, it's hard to even predict when you can get somebody out. So this is the one where I, I would be especially careful, tenants that make themselves known that they're not gonna leave. Like you can't assume that you're gonna go into the house and they're gonna move out when you buy it or that it's gonna be a quick eviction process. So um, Jim mentioned a few others here that you know come to mind that he just mentioned, which is like the mold, which you don't see all the time, but when you see it, I mean, it can be, like what would be a range for, for mold remediation? I know it's a big gap, but. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge gap, but I would say professionally remediated, you'll range from $2,000 to $15,000. Mm-hmm. If you were professionally to remediate a mold in a basement or attic, because that's usually where it is. You might get a little bit in a kitchen or something that you can have a company come out and it might be you know, less than a thousand dollars. But usually when you have mold that's in the attic or the basement, unless there was significant water damage in the house previously. Mm-hmm. So those are real numbers though. That's something you have to put into a budget. Yeah. So again, for me, like when I'm going through these deal killers, I'm just looking at it like, are there outlying things that you don't see all the time that would end up impacting the budget or impact the ARV of the property? I think it, just because we on the deal killers, we talked about septics. We've done a, we did a um, training on septics before. So it might be a good um, follow up to that. But on septics, if you make the decision to buy a help, buy a property that failed Title V, which is the standard that the state requires the septic system to follow, um, and it needs replacement or repair, that's a decision that needs to be made before the property is transferred. If you make the decision to purchase it, what's your budget? You're, you're guessing on that budget. Just know that you are absolutely guessing. So I've put septics in that have cost over $90,000 because they're close to wetlands. They're in a flood zone. They're whatever. They're, they're expensive. I've put them in that have been $15,000. So because the soils are perfect, plenty of room, and you know, there's no, it's, everything's perfect. All conditions are perfect and it's a two bedroom house. So you might be able to get 15 to 18,000 for that one. Um, I would budget at least $30,000 because keep in mind, once you do that, you have to do the electrical to the septic. You have to tie in the finished plumb. I mean, the rough plumbing in the inside the house. Now you have to landscape more than likely in most houses, the entire yard front and back because the old septic was probably in one area of the yard. So you've had to collapse that and you have to put the new septic in the other area of the yard. So now you have to landscape that you've torn up the entire yard. Mm-hmm. So remove trees, things like that. So that's that could be a real number. So make sure you budget that if you choose to buy a house with a septic that failed. Yeah, it's scary doing this stuff, huh? You're making me scared. <laughs> yeah, but because you say the septic, okay, it cost me twenty five thousand to a septic. Well, I still have to landscape the entire property now. That's yep. even at a basic basic level of loom and seed, still eight thousand probably six thousand just to yeah. spread loom and sprinkle seed on it because yeah. it's. It's a lot. So keep that in mind. Yeah, I think it goes back for me, just, you know, depending on who's on this call right now, it goes back to do simple ones to start because all of these things that are deal killers or 
that are big renovations, fires, mold damage, foundation issues, septics, like the, the things that are really construction related where there can be a big difference and it makes it more risky if you don't know what you're doing. If you know what you're doing, then sometimes it actually helps you. Like on that deal in Acton, I think we got an even better deal than normal because the septic failed. And I think that if you're good at construction and that's your forte, those are great ones to go after. But I would be cautious about, you know, who you're targeting and what type of deals you want to do. If I was first starting out, I would probably be trying to do like townhouses or condos and condo complexes or properties like that, that are just really simple and basic. And you can maybe make the argument that you could do the renovation yourself, even though you shouldn't, um, and kind of work your way from there. And then, you know, at some point, maybe you add a property with a septic or you do a property with a foundation issue, but keep it small, keep it simple. And, you know, if you really want to do a lot of these, um, just work your way up. And if you don't want to do a lot of these, just be selective about the ones that you do. You know, don't just take anything that falls into your lap that could be a, you know, a, a huge budget or something that's so far beyond the scope of, of what you're normally doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I was going to say that if there were any questions, but also <clears throat> like I've done properties that we jacked up the entire house. We tore out the foundation. So we supported, we tore out the foundation, put a new foundation in and actually added a finished lower level and made it a split level house, right? So you can do those and there's a lot of opportunity there, but you have to know what you're doing. You have to know what you're doing. And you also have to remember on uh, part of a budget that's really important is timelines. So if you're not confident in your project and in your timeline and in your construction abilities, don't do the project because if you have to go before conservation because you're putting a deck on and that deck encroaches in the wetland protection area, well, that might just cost you four months that you can't work on the house. So keep those things in mind that if you're going to put an addition on or you're going to put a larger deck, I would keep all of your footprints within their current state that were permitted and keep it really simple to start. And we're fortunate in the market today that you can keep it simple, do a great job with what you're addressing. And, you know, Tom knows better than me, but if they sell. If you do a great job with the key items, the house will sell. Mm-hmm. So I would um, I just focus on what you're good at. Exactly. Um, so the one more question did pop up, which is once the photos are complete and then it's time for the analysis later, is it an Excel spreadsheet where all the budgeting data goes? I guess I don't completely understand the question. Maybe that's a more a Tom question. So once the photos are complete and then it's time yeah. for the analysis later, is it an Excel spreadsheet where all the budgeting data goes? I guess like you take the photos, then you sit back down and I know you said you're spending maybe 90 minutes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I got it. Yep. So yes, I, um, I use a couple of different tools, one of which, um, you know, sometimes, honestly, sometimes I'll sit there at whatever late at night in my house and I'll just make a bunch of notes and I use square feet to check my math every time. So I'll use, like, I threw out that number of 40, $42 a square foot that use out, take that with a grain of salt because it depends what you're doing. But I use those numbers to check my math at the end, but I use a spreadsheet um, that 
you know, lenders use oftentimes or lenders accept. So it's kind of a, a lender defensible spreadsheet, I would say, that we could submit or you could submit to your lender to ask for money for this project. And to do that, they're going to want detail. So I'll do floors. What am I doing to the floors and how much does it cost? So if I'm saying flooring, I'm doing carpet, laminate, or hardwood or a mixture of above. Usually, I think you should put the square foot number on each of those. So you're going to refinish 1,200 square feet of hardwood flooring. Okay, that's going to cost you $2 a square foot to refinish. So you put the, the number next to it. And that's how I would do your budget. And then I would live by it. If you're only doing one, two, three, four, five houses at a time, you can definitely manage that budget every day. So when you bring your hardwood floor company in there, if you budgeted $2 a square foot, you might be able to find one for $1.10. And you just want on your budget because you're going to need to allocate that somewhere else later. Mm -hmm. So I would, um, I would use a spreadsheet to finish your budget and then I would live by it and manage your contractors to it. Because if you manage them to your budget, they'll come down on price maybe. And you might be able to come as close as possible to your number and a few percentage points. Cool. All right. Well, I know we could continue going on, but, uh, I think that was a lot of information uh, for those of you who are doing these projects, you know, stuff like this, I feel like um, it's good to listen to, but if you really want to understand it, listen back to it, take some notes and figure out what follow-up questions you have. We do have Jim on uh, once a month. So he'll be on uh, next, I think it's the first Monday of every month. So take some notes and get your questions ready for the next one because all this stuff is really like 20 years. Would you say 20 years of doing this? <laughs> yes. It is, right? I was told to stop saying that because I sound old. I know. You look old. I actually literally be 20 years this year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I'm I feel the same way. Like, you know, so many of these things, they sound easy but there are mistakes that we've made, not just you and me, but me and you individually yeah. and together. Absolutely. And, you know, that these mistakes cost you money. They really do. You know, doing a house, we've had properties that we didn't even know were on septic and we bought them. And all of a sudden that $50,000 profit goes to 10. And we've had deals that we've lost money on. And um, we, we have deals every year where we lose money on them. And that's, that's with expertise. So you just have to be careful. You have to get educated like anything else. The more educated you get, um, the better that you're going to do. The more you learn, the more you earn, like Jim says. So, all right, guys. Thank you, Jim, for jumping on. And he will thank be back you, next month. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.